want to share a dream with you. The Lord just prompted me to share. I um, had not planned to do that. Um, as I told you earlier, I've always tried to make my life happen in the denominational sector. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of wonderful things that go, you know, go on in the regular denominational churches. And I love many people there. And so there's not anything against that. But, um, you know, I've kind of hit um, stop signs through the years there. And um, but I had this dream uh, several years ago, and it was one of those dreams that is a repeating dream that, you know, has um, been repeated many times. And um, and at the time, you know, I, I was kind of getting the message of what, you know, God was saying, but it had not been completed. The dream had not ever come to fruition. It It was you know, like an ongoing dream that I had not gotten to the end of. But my dream was this. I was um, on the porch of this, uh, looked like a maybe a big house, maybe. <clears throat> and um, it had a wraparound porch, a big porch on it. And we were, and there was a table with um, a man at the table. And, um, and people were lined up to go to that table to receive some kind of paperwork, some kind of document. And people were waiting, there was a long line, maybe 10 to 15 people in the line. And I was waiting in line to try to get to that uh, table so that I could have this document, whatever it was, that they were giving out. And I waited in line, I waited in line, and then when I got up to the guy at the table, he said, you haven't waited in line, you broke in line, get to the back of that line. And I said, okay. So I go, and I get in the back of the line. And um, so I wait in the line, I wait in the line, I wait in the line, I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and I get up there again, and he says, you haven't waited in line. Get back to the back of that line. You broke in line. Get to the back of that line. You know, I'm puzzled. I'm thinking, what is going on here? So I go, and I go get in the back of the line again. Well, I wait in line, I wait in line, I wait in line, I wait in line. Finally, I get there, and it's a woman at the table this time. And, um, and I'm ready to tell this man, now, you're not being fair, but now it's not the same person, it's a woman. And she says, you haven't waited in line. Now, get to the back of that line. You're not going to have your turn because you've broke, you know, so you get the back of the line. Well, this goes on, and I'm thinking, okay, now, I'm not getting anywhere here. This is not working. And, you know, they're not negotiable. They won't listen to me. They, you know, are just just not for me at all. So finally I say, well, I'm just going to go inside and I'm going to talk to the head guy and I'm just going to tell him what's going on here. So I go inside the building and when I go inside the building, it looks like a, a bank and there's like teller windows, you know, and people working at the windows, you know, and I ask to see the president. I want to see the the head person, you know, and I don't see that part. The end, the dream doesn't show me that part, but in a little while, I come back through this this lobby where the tellers are, and I've got this piece of paper in my hand. And I'm walking by there, and I'm thinking, now I should go back out on that porch, and I should walk by them and just, you know, do like, you know, say, see, I got it anyway without your help, you know, whatever. And as I'm thinking this, I'm thinking, no, no, that's not the right heart. That's not the right attitude. You know, that's wrong to be that way. Just forgive them. Just release it and don't, don't care, you know. Go on and do what you know to do. So I go on out. I go on the porch. And this time when I go to the porch, there's a, you know, the banisters or the railing across the porch. Uh, the table and the line still out there. And I, instead of going down there and showing off my paper, 
I just walked to the edge of the um, banister, and I'm looking at the ground. And as I'm looking at the ground, I notice that the leaves are just really moving all over the ground. The wind's blowing very hard. And as I'm looking at that, I, I look up, and when I look up, there is a huge, dark, dark, dark cloud and a storm just ready to hit. Well, I immediately go to hollering, uh, you know, to everybody, everybody, get inside, come on, a storm's coming. And I begin to yell to all the people outside of the building, uh, out, not on the porch, and all the people on the porch, I start saying, come on, get inside, get inside. And as I begin to open the doors and try to get people to get inside, and I'm yelling for them to hurry, the storm's coming. We get inside, well, it's not the bank anymore, it's a, it's a church. And, um, and I'm telling everybody, get down on the floor, and I'm telling them how to hold their head. You know, we do all that at schools, you know, get ready for storms. I'm telling them, get down, cover your head, you know, and all this. And I'm standing there looking all over this huge, huge auditorium full of people, and, um, and I'm trying to get them away from the windows because I know when the storm hits, the windows, the glass will break. And I've got several people way on the other end, and they're too close to the windows, and I'm worried about that. And, you know, and I'm all involved in protecting the people and getting them ready for this storm that is about to hit and trying to make sure they're safe and they're inside and safe. Well, the Lord began to speak to me about that this thing that I'd been going through on the porch had been trying to get the approval and the, the documentation, the um, ordination or the approval of the traditional denominational line of people. You know, that they were just, that I had worked for years, you know, I'd kept the nurseries, cleaned the church, vacuumed the floors, you know, cleaned the potties. I had, you know, done every, sung in the choir, taught the training union, taught the Sunday school, done everything that a good person would do to try to earn the approval so that I could, you know, uh, move into leadership and that kind of thing. But it never would work out. And, um, and I believe that kind of uh, signified my little line, waiting in line and having to go back to the end of the line. It was like I never could get to that point where they would recognize anything, you know, that I had done. Even after years, and I'm not talking about like six months, or I'm talking about 13 years, you know, of service, they still was not ready to see me, you know, do anything other than just that. Um, and then I, I believe going inside, you know, represented just totally quitting with that that way and just going before the Lord and just saying, Lord, you do it. And, uh, and I knew that there would be a time when something like what happened today would happen. And, um, and then I wondered if it had a connection with the next step of me going back out on the porch and seeing the storm coming. I, I don't know. That's the part that hadn't, you know, hadn't come into play yet. Um, but we'll see because I know that God's got, there's a lot going on in our world right now. And I know that deception is rampant. And I know that um, even just in the last month, um, there's been a church that, and see one of the parts that I play as the prophet is recognizing um, the enemy and, uh, and recognizing sin and recognizing error. One of the things that the prophet hates is the sin and the error in the body. And, um, but... In the church, in this particular church that's in our southeastern region, they were having a, um, what they called, a, they thought, a big revival. And, um, and I wasn't there, and I don't know, so this, a lot of this is hearsay. I'm just going to tell you what I heard and what I know from uh, some very 
people that I, I would trust that would not be just saying stuff to be critical. Um, the word was being very twisted. The word would, was uh, being presented, but it was presented with error. And, um, and there were even some signs and some wonders or some things going on. I don't really know what those were. And that, um, and that they found out after a couple of weeks of a big revival with people packed out and uh, people coming from everywhere that the person was actually Muslim and trying to pass off as a Christian and was planting seeds of, of error in the body. And um, this person was from out of the country and had come over and had been fasting for many, many weeks and had all this power and whatever, and everybody was really impressed, and it was just, you know, making headlines. But after a while, um, some of the, as some of the people that really knew the word began to listen, they began to catch the error and began to realize that it was major error. And, um, and then as more and more began to expose um, his true religion of Islam, Muslim faith was um, found out. Well, that's the kind of thing that I believe that we're going to see more of in the days ahead. We're going to see more and more of the infiltration of the, uh, the deception of the enemy come into our midst. And it's going to look like a, a duck, and it's going to kind of walk like a duck. And it might even quack like a duck, but that don't mean it's going to be a duck. And we're going to have to be discerning, and we're going to have to be depending on um, each other as spiritual um, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ to be alert to this kind of thing. And I think that's why the prophet and the apostle and, and having the, the fivefold ministry lined up and working together is so vitally important in these last days. And um, even though I want to say a bunch more about all that, I'm not. Because i got a wonderful message for you today, and I don't want to keep you because I know this is your Sunday and um, you've got a lot going on that you want to do. But, um, but I want to talk with you today about a message that um, is uh, very heavy on my heart. And, um, and it's going to talk with us about uh, encountering a face-to-face encounter with God, dealing with that face-to-face encounter with God. And, um, and I've got a word I want to uh, share with somebody right now, and I don't know who it's for, but I'm going to give this word really quick. And this is it. The word of, this is just a word from, for someone, and if it applies to you, fine, and if it doesn't, fine. But uh, the Lord says, It is time, says the Lord. You might say, what do you mean, time for what? It is time, says the Lord, that you come to your place called Peniel. And I'm going to tell you about what that place is in a minute. God's hand is upon you. He has called to you. His hand has been upon you all of your life, but you have not responded to his call. You have tried to negotiate your own terms. You have tried to negotiate your own terms with God. You have set up your own rules. You have not consulted me, says the Lord. You have even looked to others to provide for you acceptable guidelines. But you have not consulted me. It is time, says the Lord, it is time for you to listen to me. For I am calling you out. With open arms of love, I am calling out to you. Do you know it is said that most people will do the right thing 
after all other options have been exhausted. After we have exhausted all other options, we've tried everything else, we've done everything we know to do, we've given it our very best shot, we've come up with every wonderful idea we could come up with, we've talked to everybody we could talk to, and after we've done all of that, we'll finally do it God's way. We'll finally do the right thing. Why do we have to go through that gamut of all of that? I don't know. But most of us have to exhaust out every other option before we'll do what God says do. That's kind of what I was telling you a while ago about some things in my life, how we kind of try to make other things work out because we want to do it this way. And we got our idea of how we want things done. But, as I said... You know, the Word of God tells us there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. The end uh, thereof is it... Hold on a minute. I'm trying to get this thing to work. And uh, But he says that the end thereof is destruction. And, um, and so we've got to realize that even though we think we know what's best for us, we really don't know. And we need God's intervention at all times about everything. We need to pray about everything and in all things with prayer and supplication. We need to keep that in mind that we need to be praying about everything and, uh, and really asking God about things that, and especially, you know, anything that involves our lives and our destinies because God's got a plan and it involves you and it involves me, but he's got to get us rightly aligned before he can get that done. So anyway, I want to talk with you about a place um, called Peniel, and, um, and I want to tell you, uh, I want to give you some backup information about this, because I don't have time to read all of this to you today. It's a, a lot of scripture, so I'm going to uh, kind of um, just give you the story. Some of you probably know a lot of this, but there's a lot been preached about the uh, person Jacob, and I noticed in, in Psalms 84 uh, that it talked about Jacob. And I want to go back and I want to see what God's saying in that. But, um, but there's always such wonderful things uh, in the life of Jacob. But remember, Jacob is born a twin son to Isaac and Rebekah. Remember we have Abraham and then Abraham has a son and his name is Isaac. And then Isaac marries Rebekah and he and Rebekah, they have um, twins and their twins are in uh, the womb, and uh, their names are Esau and Jacob. Now, let me stop right here. This is in Genesis 25, 20 through 27. It says in Genesis 25, 20 through 27, that Rebekah gives birth to twins, uh, Isaac and Jacob. Now, I've got to stop here just a minute, and I've got to share with you something. You know, it says it uh, in in this particular um, chapter that uh, when Rebecca gets pregnant with uh, the twins, that she begins to have a lot of um, trouble in her in her carrying of the babies. There's um, a, a lot of pain and discomfort and a lot of rumbling and a tossing and turning and and she's in a lot of pain and distress and she goes before the Lord and she's saying oh Lord don't you care about the pain I'm in with these with these babies in my belly 
And God speaks to her and says to her, Do you not understand that you have two nations are in your womb? And two manner of people shall be separated from the from thy bowels, and that the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Well, I'm going to stop right there because I've got to preach you a message on that. Let me tell you this. Every one of us is carrying two nations in our bellies. And the one nation that is in your belly comes forth first because you're born with uh, the, uh, the kingdom of darkness already residing within you when you were born. Because of the sin of Adam, we carry that in ourselves. So when you are born, that kingdom of darkness already resides within you and it begins to come forth in your life as you begin to walk and breathe and have your being. But later, you have a born-again experience where you begin to, when you are born again, and you birth and you bring forth another kingdom, which is the kingdom of our dear Son, the light of God, the kingdom of light. So you have two kingdoms residing in you that is all the time warring and wrestling and, and is in turmoil within of you trying to figure out now which kingdom is going to rule, which kingdom is going to have dominance in you. The kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. But I'm telling you that the word of God tells us that the younger will, uh, that the uh, older will serve the younger. Amen. That the first son, the kingdom of darkness, will serve the younger, which is the born again kingdom of light. You get that? That the kingdom of light, which comes after the kingdom of darkness, is going to serve the older one. I mean, yeah, the older one's going to serve the younger one. Which, you know, in, in biblical scripture, the firstborn always has the rule and has the dominance. And I always wondered why God would change that. I said, now why are you saying? And because he went on and said, he said, look, the, young, uh, the older's going to serve the younger. But it's because he was talking about two kingdoms that resides within us. Is that that younger son, that younger birth, the born again kingdom of light, that that kingdom of darkness that resides within you is going to be the uh, weaker and the kingdom of light is going to be the, uh, the, the dominant one. And so we need to claim that for ourselves today. And so we find out here that uh, Rebecca gives birth to these two sons and we know that... Um, Esau is born first, but let me tell you something. Jacob is holding on to his heel because he knows he's coming after him and he's going to dominate and he's going to rule. I like that. I do. I love it. All right. So we go on and we find out then that Jacob um, uh, is born. They're born. And in Genesis 29, we find out the story. No, that's a little further. Probably about 26 or 27. We find out about the uh, deceit that goes on between... um, uh, uh, with Jacob and his mom, uh, you know, uh, Esau is the firstborn, and of course he's supposed to receive the blessing from his father. And um, his father is about to die, and he calls uh, Esau in, and he says, go, you know, cook me a stew because I'm about to die, and I'm going to bless you. Well, Jacob and his mom, they plan together and plot together how they're going to deceive um, Isaac and get the blessing for Jacob. 
And they do plot and they plan and they work together a little device and they come up and they deceive um, their dad and he then blesses Jacob and gives the blessing to Jacob. And so then when Esau shows up later with the stew and he's ready to get his blessing, uh, Isaac says, oh no, what happened? I've already given the blessing. I thought I gave it to you. But he had been tricked. He had been deceived. And so Jacob then has, through deception, he has gotten his brother's blessing. And um, Esau is furious. He is totally furious and just is very angry with Jacob. So his mom, they plot for Jacob <coughs> to go his, to run in his way and go to her cousin uh, and live there with them and get away from Esau because he uh, seeks to kill him. So we find there that in, by Genesis 29 that um, Jacob comes to his cousin's home, Laban, and uh, he accidentally meets Rachel. Rachel is out helping with the uh, flocks and uh, he runs into her and is immediately in love with her. And uh, so he begins to then, he meets Laban, his, um, his uncle or whatever, and um, Laban says, well, come live with us, and you can work for us. You can work for me, and um, <coughs> I'll pay you wages. Well, uh, Jacob has something else on his mind. He is thinking, I want Rachel. So he, he bargains with uh, Laban. He says, I tell you what, what if I work for you? Would you give me your uh, daughter in marriage? And uh, Laban says, yes. And um, he says, well, uh, I'm looking at Rachel. May I have Rachel, you know, for my wife? And um, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, Laban says, yes, that'll be fine. You know, you work for me seven years, and then I'll give you my daughter. Well, of course, Jacob works for him for seven years. And when it's time... um, for him to be married, they set up the, they do the wedding feast and everything's wonderful. And, uh, Jacob goes into his wife that night and, uh, wakes up the next morning and it's not Rachel. It's Leah, his older daughter. And he is livid. He says, I can't believe you did that to me. You tricked me. Isn't it interesting that he did the same thing to his dad? Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He was busy deceiving his dad and taking and his brother, and he used this uh, trickery and, and deception to get what he wanted. And then his uh, Laban uses trickery and deception to get what he wants. And he is so distraught. He is so upset because now he is married to Leah, the older sister, and he is not a happy camper. So. Um, of course, he and Leah, they do have many children, and, and I'm not going to get into that right now, but, um, but still his heart is for Rachel. So he begins to negotiate with Laban again. Okay, well, I want Rachel. What can I do? He said, well, you can work for me another seven years. And if you work for me another seven years, then I'll give you Rachel. So uh, um, Jacob decides to do, go along with that. And he works for him, and then at the end of seven years, he does get Rachel. And we know that Rachel, he and Rachel have the two sons, um, Jacob and Benjamin, Joseph and Benjamin. And then that's another whole story that would be wonderful to talk about, but we don't have time. All right, so with all of that history covered, um, we find that Jacob is busy trying to um, 
get a wife and have family and uh, establish himself. But he's worked 14 years and he really doesn't have anything. And then we go in to find out that he begins to work for himself. And there's a whole wonderful story there that I'd love to tell you, but I got to skip that and get on because I want to tell you more about just Jacob as a person. Jacob has been, um, he is a person that really was not really religious or very a religious man or a real committed man uh, as his father and his grandfather were. Uh, he just didn't get into the, all the, um, uh, the rituals and the traditions and all the stuff. Uh, he just uh, didn't think he needed it, actually, a whole lot. And so he wasn't known for all of that. But, um, but the thing about God that was so sweet is that even though Jacob was not um, the traditional uh, ritual-keeping kind of person that Abraham and Isaac was, um, God never did put Jacob down. He just continued to love him. He just continued to love him, and he continued to prophesy and speak into his life good things. He continued to believe in him. And that's what God does to us. You know, he continues to believe in us. He continues to work with us. He continues to tell us how great we are and how wonderful we are and how he loves us. Now, I'm not saying that he don't get on to us at times when we're in sin, but he continues to believe that there's something in us of value. And he continues to work in our lives to bring that out. And that was the way he was with Jacob. Even though Jacob did some bad things and he didn't use a lot of good sense and a lot of good ethics many times, uh, God just didn't give up on him. He stayed with him. And he continued to believe uh, uh, in Jacob. Even after God allowed him to, Jacob to see the angels ascending and descending from heaven, um, he still is not really um, convinced uh, of who God is. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But um, we find out here that um, I think that, uh, let's see where we are, maybe Genesis 27. Uh, let's see. I was trying to skip a lot of scripture so I didn't have to read it. Um, but we find out that um, Jacob has now um, uh, produced, uh, he's uh, now has a big flock of his own. He's got a, uh, two wives and um, uh, 12 children. He's got a flock of uh, people that work for him. He's really accomplished a great, uh, a great wealth now when you think about how he compared to other people. And he was kind of pleased with his accomplishments at this point. But just at the time when he began to be pleased with his accomplishments, he began to uh, have to think back on an experience that happened years ago. He happened to have to deal with that thing that uh, was still in his life that had never been uh, reconciled. And that thing was um, his relationship with his brother Esau. He knew that he had not done right with that. And he knew that his brother still hated him. But see, there is a natural, in our, in our natural lives, our natural life has a life principle which ordinarily we do not recognize. And I want you to hear this for just a minute. In our life, naturally, there is a life principle, and I'm going to explain life principle to you in just a minute, which ordinarily we, ourselves, we don't recognize it for a long, long time. The, this principle may be clear to us, but God has a way of bringing it into our visual focus. Now, let me talk about a life principle. A principle is an underlying faculty that moves us to action. 
a principle is an underlying something that's kind of in the background that we don't really see real clearly. But that faculty, that principle moves us into action in what we do in just about everything in our lives. It's a, it's a ruling principle that makes us do what we do, makes us make the decisions we make, it makes us be who we are, not really who we are, but, um, and those kinds of things are, are things like, example would be greed, prideful, being proud, pride, fear, which can be seen as laziness, dishonesty, lying, haters, which gets into backbiting and jealousy. There are some, a life principle that dwells in all of us. It's from that kingdom of darkness that I told you that's inside of you and inside of me that, um, that drives us to do what we do. A lot of times, you know, um, people do things and you see the action but you don't really always know what makes them do that. And a lot of times it's because of an underlying um, uh, uh, string or thing of greed in their hearts. Or it could be hatred in their hearts. Or it could be pride. And that underlying principle makes people do what they do. Well, that existed in Jacob. It had existed in him, and it made him do what he uh, did to his brother. It made him do what he did when he was working uh, with Laban. It was the principle that, that operated in his life secretly that only God really sees. And many times we don't see it ourselves. Many times other people can see it. You know, they don't tell us sometimes. But, and then sometimes people can't see it. They only see the outward appearance. But, but remember an example. Let me give you the example of this. Remember when the rich man uh, came to Jesus and he said, Oh, Jesus, tell me what I can do to inherit eternal life. And uh, he says, well, just go um, keep the commandments that, uh, that Moses gave you, you know. And, um, and, he, you know and, and the man said, oh, well, I've done all that. You know, I don't lie and I don't steal and I don't commit it. You know, he's done all those rules. He said, I've kept those from my youth. Tell me what? Tell me, give me, you've got to have something else I can do besides that. Well, you know, the thing about it is, if you really get serious and you start asking God to reveal to you, do you know what? He will. You just got to decide, are you ready to hear it? And see, I've been guilty of that. I get there and I say, oh, Lord, I want to know. Yes, I do. You know, I'm thinking. And then when he tells me, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, why did I ask? You know? <laughs> because our hearts, you know, we don't like they have to make changes, and we don't like to make commitments, and we don't like to do what we really need to be doing. So we'd rather kind of not know so we don't have to really answer to it. But this man pressed on in. See, he asked Jesus, and Jesus just gave him just a little general answer so he could be happy and go on his way. But no, 
He had to go further. He said, no, now tell me now. What can I do now? I want to really know how I can eternal, you know, uh, get eternal life. Now please tell me. Come on, tell me the truth now. So Jesus turns around and looks at him and he says, so you want to know, huh? You really want to know? He says, okay, I'm going to tell you. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me. Oh, and the man says, oh, he went away very sad because he was a rich man. See, he really wasn't wanting to know. Because, see, the underlying principle in his heart was greed or either pride or something that was hindering him from really doing what he really needed to do. Because if he had not had more pride and more greed than he had for love for Jesus, he'd have done it. So Jesus answered him. So see, there's that thing in us that is motivating us and pushing us and driving us to do what we do, and it's not pleasing to God. Even when we're doing good things. Sometimes we're doing good things, and everybody thinks we're wonderful, but they don't know that the underlying reason we're doing them is for some other alternative motive, ulterior motive for ourselves. They're over there saying, oh, let me bless you, brother. Let me come in here and let me help you build this church and let me help you do all this. And all they're, they're not wanting to help him build a church and help the thing. They've got something else up their sleeve that they're up to. And so we're deceived by people because we look at the exterior and we're not seeing people by the Spirit and we're not letting God show us people by the Spirit and by the heart. And then there's other people. And, and, and Brother Wayne, I tell you what, that man is so precious to me. I've always appreciated who he is and his whole family, though. All of, I can't even, all of them. But there was a, one day... I came by his office, and I was just distraught. I just was, I don't know what was going on, but, you know, it's just one of them places where you just need somebody to just give you an encouraging word. He don't even know this. This is, this is new to him. But um, he was at work, you know, the principal, and he was busy man. But I stopped by there, and I said, oh, I got this going on, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Well, I don't, you know, I don't even know what it was. All I know is he says, just wait right here. He goes out, and he brings in this lady. And she comes walking in there. He says, I want her to pray for you. Well, now, y'all, please forgive me now, but I'll just be honest. Can we do that? She come in there. She didn't look like she hardly knew how to read. (laughs) She didn't look like anything. I had anything to listen. I mean, you know, like, what can she tell me? I mean, you know. I, I, I just I judged her from the exterior. I looked at her. She didn't look like the person that looked like she was a victory, overcoming faith kind of person. And so I thought, where did he, where did he get her? <laughs> so, I, but being kind to him as I would be and be respectful, I said, sure, that's fine. You pray for me. <laughs> Well, honey, when she opened her mouth and began to pray for me and began to speak over me, the anointing filled that room, and I was weeping like a baby. And she was my best friend, and I loved her forever after that moment. I mean, it was like treasures in hidden vessels. I mean, you know, it was like she was a treasure in a hidden vessel. That she, If she walking down the street, nobody would have given her the time of day. 
But there was a treasure inside of her that was more wonderful and more valuable than anything from someone that looked all glamorous and sophisticated and educated and what all that else. So God has been teaching me, don't judge people by the exterior. You're going to miss You're going to miss the riches and the jewels and the diamonds and the rubies that I've got in your midst when you begin to do that. So I had to repent. I said, Lord, forgive me because now I see that it doesn't matter, you know, anything about your financial status, your educational status. None of that matters. It matters what kind of relationship does that person have with with God with the living God, and she blessed me that day, and she read my mail, and she just had the word from the Lord. I was so blessed, and, um, and so it, it, was, it was just a wonderful experience and a wonderful learning experience for me. But, um, but God knows what's going on inside of us. He knows the driving force, the principle behind what we're doing. And folks, even if You know, sometimes we fool ourselves. The Bible tells us that our hearts deceive us, that sometimes we don't even know ourselves. And that's why when we pray and we're getting before the Lord, you have to just say, Lord, I don't know what I need. I don't know what's best for me. You do in my life what needs to be done. You show me what you want done. You make the decisions because I don't know. I think I know, but I really don't. So you help me with this, and you uh, guide me and direct me. And like I was telling you about even struggling with my commitment here, you know, not knowing what that meant and not understanding what I was saying or what I was committing to. You know, I just get the point where, Lord, it is no longer, I don't have to understand anymore. You know, there's an old song that says, I don't need to understand, I just need to hold his hand. You know, I just got the point, I don't care anymore if I don't understand it. You know, I just quit even asking to try to understand it because it is not up to me to, you know, to have to understand everything God's doing everywhere. All he's asked me to do is just trust him and believe him and love him and know that if he's with me, whatever he calls me to do, wherever I am, he's got the provision, he's got the means, he's got the way, and it's going to be all right. And so God is calling us to that, and he is going to work in, he is going to stay in our business and he is going to stay in, in our lives working on us until we get to that place that Jacob got to called Peniel. See, I want to tell you something. A lot of things that might be going on in your life might be God working to get you to that place where you recognize your need for him. Um, Jacob had gotten to a place where um, he had to go back and he had to deal with some issues. And one of the first issues that he had to deal with was his brother Esau. And so he finally gets to the point where he um, is ready to go and um, uh, deal with that. But just before he does, uh, they're going to get up and he's going to get all of his family and he's going to move and he's going to move on to a place called, um, is it Jabok? Um, oh, anyway, this place they have to go. And, um, and so I was trying to find in my scripture so I could, um, so y'all could read it uh, for yourselves. I don't want you to take my word for anything, but, uh, I was trying to not have to read it all because it would take too long. Uh, these are chapters and chapters of, um, of information. But anyway, when, uh, he gets up and he's about to take his family, uh, back to deal with, um, with, with Esau, um, 
he has this experience where he begins to, um, he has to wait. He can't go forward. He can't go on. Uh, he has to stay there because God has to, uh, he's going to have a face-to-face encounter with the Lord. And, um, and it's at this place where he begins to have to deal with that underlying uh, principle that's going on in his life. He's lying there that night and he's, he, he begins to um, uh, see the angels ascending and descending, ascending and descending. And uh, he begins to uh, realize that this is a place where God dwells. And, um, and it says that he um, wrestles with the Spirit of the Lord. That that night, uh, a wrestling and a, um, a, 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 well, whatever goes on, a pulling and a tugging of self-will. And this is where uh, Jacob's uh, has to come into um, the acceptance of who he really was. Uh, I think he had kind of convinced himself he was okay, that he was doing all right, that, um, you know, um, that he was fine just the way he was. But he came to that place where God says, no, you're not all right. No, things are not just okay. You've got to look at yourself of who you really are, and you've got to deal with that. And you've got to then repent of that, and you've got to move on so that I can use you. And so this was the place called Peniel that Jacob found himself. And it says he wrestled with the Spirit of God all night long. That he wrestled and he wrestled because he was, it was a period of time where he was wanting the blessings of God, but that God was not going to give them to him. Now listen to this. God was not going to give him those blessings until he came face to face with who he really was and saw his need for change. Saw his need to repent and to change. You know, Paul had to do that same thing. Paul was a, a, a Roman that was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was knowledgeable. He was intelligent. He was in position of power. He was this and he was that. He had a lot of reason to be very prideful. And he was the one persecuting the church. And he was the one killing the Christians and all that. And he had to come to that place called Peniel where he had to come to a face-to-face encounter with God so that he realized, hey, you're bigger than I am. You're more powerful than I am. I don't have it going on. I don't have it all going on. I'm not okay without you. I cannot do this without you. I've got to have you. I am nothing without you. And when Paul uh, was thrown to the ground and became blind, and he had to go those couple of days uh, that it took for him to uh, get his his see himself as he really was. When he came out of that experience, he was no longer called Paul, but he was called Saul. And he had that encounter, that face-to-face encounter with God when he repented and he changed and he turned and he became a different person. Uh, and he was never the same again. And he was then useful in the, in the Father's hand. He was a, a strong weapon in the hand of God against the enemy. And see, that's what God is calling us to do. He's wanting us to become a strong instrument in his hand. A strong weapon in his hand. That he can defeat the, the kingdom of darkness. That he can defeat uh, the, uh, the 
wicked one in, in our communities and in our families and in our homes. And he can push back the darkness and he can claim back the land that the enemy has stolen. But he is not going to be able to take us to those places until we come to that face-to-face encounter with him. Until we have our own pineal with him. That place where we come face-to-face and we say, Yes, Lord. I see what I am. I see who I am. And I repent of that. And please help me. And I, you know, and, and help me to change. And it says that Jacob was crippled in his hip. And I believe that that cripple in the, in the natural strength, uh, came to be a sign that, uh, of, of that he re- was a, a reminder of to him, Jacob. That he has weakened his own in his own physical being. That he that by the flesh he is weak. And you know, in Israel, you know, um, let me say this before I go on to that. But <clears throat> Jacob was prevented from entering uh, into the, uh, the place called J- Jabok, I think it was, and I keep trying to find that name if I'm pronouncing it right. But Jacob was not allowed to go in to this, this place where his family and all were going until he, because he had to stop here at this place where he had this pineal experience. And, uh, and I believe that, um, that this signifies the fact that we as individuals, as long as we are operating in our own ability, in our own talents, and in our own wisdom, that we're not going to be able to go into this next place with the Lord that he's calling us to until we have our um, experience with him and just as Israel Israel is a little tiny nation it is a it's smaller than almost any other nation and yet all other nations Russia and China and all these uh, you know want to war against them but just as Israel uh, is unable in their own ability to stand against uh, many of the greater nations but God promised them that victory would come. And they have got to believe, just like they always have, that it's not by power, and it's not by might, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord. In Zechariah 4, 6, He tells us that it's not by power and it's not by might, but it will be by His Spirit that the, that the enemy will be defeated. That we can't go out there in our own ability. It doesn't matter how smart we are, how intelligent we are, how educated we are, how physically strong we are, how powerful in positions we are. None of that is going to produce victory. That it is only going to be by the Spirit of the living God that victory is accomplished. And we have to then die to our own abilities. And just as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Let me rest in you. Let me lean back in the arms of God and rest in you. Knowing that you are the uh, one that will win this victory. And, uh, and it doesn't ha- matter how big the enemy may look out there. It doesn't matter how scary they may look. It doesn't matter how big and powerful they may look. That has nothing to do with it. It is because of the power and the Spirit of God that will bring us to places of victory. And if we will believe that, we will experience victory. Well, Jacob had to come to that place. He had to come to that place uh, of surrender. Uh, and, and to see himself. And did you know Jesus, at that point, God said, the Spirit of the Lord said, you will no longer be called Jacob. You'll be called Israel. He changed his name. 
And, you know, that's the thing that God's wanting to do to us. He's wanting to give us a new name. He's wanting to give us a new, he wants to make us afresh and anew, a new person in the spirit that we can walk forth and we can go out and we can be a shining light that others would see Jesus, that we can just be, that we don't have to wrestle with flesh and blood. We don't have to argue with people. We don't have to try to make our way, but we can just be. And as we are being who we are in Him, that the power of the living God is pushing back the darkness everywhere we go, that the darkness has to flee, and that we are then uh, gaining ground for the kingdom of God. It is not a struggle anymore. It's not a place of struggle. And I know several of them said and when they were speaking to me, rest. And that is one of the things that the Lord's been trying to work in me for a, year, a couple of years now, saying it's time to enter into my rest. Rest in me, says the Lord, rest, because it is not by your power and it is not by your might. And see, for so long, I thought that it had something to do with me, that I had to get myself all trained and prepared. And, you know, I had all this stuff I had to do to to gain this, that and the other. But he's uh, helped me to come to this place in my life where I realize it's not about me. It's not about anything other than my love for him. And my commitment to Him. And that if I will love Him and I will commit my life to Him. And I will be a, a subject to His His purposes. Not my own, but His. That then as things arise and He needs me for something. He's going to have it. He's going to have the doors open. He's going to have the provision there. He's going to have everything fixed up and, and ready. All I got to do is just be. I got to be who you know, who He's made me to be. And that is to worship Him and to love Him and to fellowship with Him. It's a real easy place to be if we would just enjoy that place. Because really, when the body of Christ begins to enter into that place, everybody has a gift and everybody's uh, given of their gift and there's no lack in the body. It's not a struggle because everybody's just doing what they comes natural to them and what's in them. And so then all there's no lack. There's all sufficiency. But we've got too many people struggling in the flesh. We've got too many people not committing and not wanting to um, have that face and face at the counter in, with God. They're wanting to live in, uh, you know, in, in ignorance. And you know, you've heard the little saying, ignorance is bliss. People like to be ignorant because as long as they don't know, then they can say, well, I didn't know. But then on the other hand, God's calling us to accountability. He's calling us to a place of maturity. We've got too many baby Christians still on the pews, sitting there warming pews. It should not be. We need armies. We need people that are marching forth, locked arm to arm. Not that one person is is the uh, one doing all the fighting, but that we are all locked arms, marching together in one accord, doing this together as one. And that is the army that will overcome. It's that one that is united, walking together as one. Because as, if the enemy can keep us out there individualized, out there doing our own thing, he can pick us off. Yeah. But if we're together, unified, locked arm in arm, walking together, marching together, pushing forward together, it's a mighty force that the, that the gates of hell cannot prevail. And I want to encourage you today to allow whatever God's doing in your life to go ahead and be dealt with today. Today is the day that we need to make commitments, make changes, Allow God to um, deal with issues. Even if He's told you good things to do. I'm not always talking about sin. I'm talking about even good things that God's saying for us to do.
We need to begin to go on and realize today's the day we need to be doing those good things. We can't keep saying, well, one day I'm going to get around to being a, a good neighbor. I'm going to get around to doing something nice. We've got to go on and begin to realize today is the day. Today is the day for us to be who God's called us to be. Because the days ahead may not all, all be all real wonderful. And we're going to need one another more and more. And we're going to be so thankful that we have each other. And when one's in need, we can all rally and we can pray and we can stand. That's going to be so important. 